Do you know what separates a failed business exit from a highly profitable one? Do you want to maximize the value of your business? The Business Exit Stories podcast is the solution. Through a collection of stories told by the business intermediaries who facilitate those transactions, you'll receive the key takeaways from successful and, yes, some not-so-successful business exits. Now is the time to begin to position your business for an exit by implementing key strategies designed to maximize your enterprise value and help you achieve an exceptionally profitable exit. Today we have with us Joe Garwino, who is a M&A advisor based in Pennsylvania and is a part of a national firm. Coming to us with a background as a CEO in privately held companies and in private equity, and then finally as a M&A advisor, he brings a unique perspective to the table because he has occupied a lot of different chairs at the dealmaker's table. In the first transaction that Joe shares with us, he provides details of how a specialty heavy equipment dealer and manufacturing company was operating in a highly profitable niche. When the founder decided to move on and engaged his services as an M&A advisor, he was able to bring his team into the business to position the company for an exit and go to market with the business. It didn't take long before a private equity company that Joe had dealt with previously was interested in the business and made a very generous offer on the business. However, the seller's attorney had dealt with this private equity company before and had his suspicions about the company and and had developed some perceptions how this company operated. What shouldn't have happened actually happened, and this derailed the deal. I want you to listen to this incredulous story about the details of how this transaction unfolded. Next in the deal story, Joe shares how a 50-50 partnership between two business owners who had acquired a company from the previous founders who had been operating the company for nearly 50 years passed away, and they, who were key managers in the company, acquired the company. However, they were great employees that executed at a high level in their roles within the company, but they weren't great business people or entrepreneurs, and they made some rookie mistakes that took the business from a peak of profitability to being very marginally profitable and losing seven figures prior to their decision that they needed to exit the company. You'll learn how they went from insolvency and how important it is to bring the right advisors in who could creatively structure a deal that took these owners from the brink of bankruptcy and getting just a few hundred thousand dollars as walkaway money from their exit at the time they were struggling to a multi-million dollar exit and at the same time retaining equity in the company that the private equity company had created that gave them a chance to have a second bite at the apple when they exited the company for a second time. Finally, Joe shares how creative deal structuring can take a company with the multiple revenue streams in that company and having different divisions of that company and packaging up each of these revenue streams and marketing those revenue streams to different buyers and how they were able to take the company from marginally creating a great value to creating a situation where the parts were actually greater than the whole. What I mean by this is that the different revenue parts sold separately were actually worth more than the company was worth, where all three revenue streams were sold in the company in one transaction. By creating three transactions, the sum of the parts were greater than the whole. 
This is Marvin L. Storm with Business Exit Stories. This morning we're here with Joe Guarino. Joe, would you take just a few minutes and introduce yourself and chat a little bit about where you're located and your specialty? Absolutely, Marvin. First of all, thank you for having me today. Um, I uh, own the Link Business Office in Pennsylvania and also oversee the U.S. market for Link. And uh, the the projects that we're going to talk about today were uh, done by our Link Enterprise Division, which is our lowest, our lower middle market division. Okay, well, that's great. So let's jump in here. When uh, you said that you're located in the Pennsylvania area and one of the linked offices out there, how many offices are there in Link? We currently have five offices around the country and we are expanding uh, as we speak. Well, since you've had some experience in dealing with entrepreneurs that are positioning their businesses for exit, why don't we chat a little bit about one of those transactions that had its challenges and may have or may not have made it across the finish line? Why don't we jump in and have you tell us a little bit about the type of business, who the owner of the business was, and what was really his driving motivation on considering selling his business? Sure. Um so the business is in the industrial equipment space, and um, the uh, the owner had built just an incredibly impressive, uh, highly differentiated business within the space, but had reached an age at which you know he was really ready to retire. Um, certain aspects of it he still loved, like many, but other aspects of it you know became kind of a chore to him. So uh, he was ready to uh, find the right uh, buyer for the business. Was his business a generic business or was it kind of unique in its revenue streams? Tell us a little bit about what made the business differentiated in the marketplace. Right. Um, He had taken certain um, areas of the industry, different types of products, different types of services, and built a model for his business very different from what the majority of the businesses in the industry did. That was the good news. The, the, the bad news is it was such a highly specialized way that he ran his business that it was highly dependent on him. And that was one of the first challenges that we uh, came upon in working with him. So when you went to market after getting the business positioned and ready for sale, what type of buyers were primarily interested in this kind of niche business that had somewhat differentiated itself and where he was kind of important to the business, it sounds like? Right. It was interesting. We had interest from all what I call three buyer types, um, private equity or financial buyers. We had interest from strategic buyers from the industry and outside the industry or in adjacent businesses. Uh, and we also had uh, interest from individual buyers. So it was a, a wide range of uh, prospective buyers. Um, obviously, it took the right group of buyers to become interested and and want to tackle the task of essentially replacing uh, this owner that had so much uh, of this knowledge inside of him and, um, you know, did still did some of the most important work in the business himself. So when you run into situations like this, just for our audience benefit, what should an owner do? You know, if they're thinking of exiting, especially when they're key to the business, how should they approach this as they come down that home stretch and looking at exiting the business? What advice would you give someone like that? And maybe what advice did you give this gentleman? Right. Well, I would say as a, as a higher level comment, you know, it's one thing to contact us when you're ready to sell. It's a whole different approach and better approach to contact us, you know, three years or whatever number of years prior to when you're ready to sell. Because us in conjunction with your accountant, your attorney, your wealth planner, 
we can make sure that you, that we are maximizing the value of your business and preparing it properly uh, for sale. So if this gentleman had approached us previously, um, we would have worked toward um, him bringing, at least determining what the right resource would be to bring in or maybe moving some of the work to other employees in the business to make sure that um, the owner-centric nature of it didn't chase prospective buyers away. Okay, so you have a buyer, I assume, that the buyer understood that kind of concentration of management roles in this particular situation. Uh, describe the buyer for us that kind of had the ability to look past that situation where a lot of buyers wouldn't actually. Right. Um, what I would call them is a, a very successful, um, smaller uh, private equity firm uh, with maybe a handful of investments and in growing that um, understood that if you get into a business of this size of this differentiation, even though it may be a challenge, the lift that you can get by growing the business um, to a certain size can really um, drive a larger multiple as well, um, so that you may have to get in and get your hands dirty, but uh, the reward at the end of it can be very significant. So as the buyer looked at this, and they obviously were experienced in acquisitions, tell us a little bit about how the transaction unfolded and some of what either structural or personal obstacles you had to overcome to keep this deal on track and a little bit of how this unfolded for both buyer and the seller. Right. Um, well, first of all, the business was growing rapidly. So um, the, 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 the idea was what's a fair price for the current value of the business and how can the seller be rewarded for several different pieces that were coming into the business, whether it's, you know, growth opportunities, profit opportunities, whatever they are that are, that are there that are going to be realized. Um, so how do we, how do we build all of that in additionally that the, the, the seller would stick around for a period of time to teach this, these things to the, um, uh, to the company and how would he be compensated uh, during that time period. And then lastly, um, and the biggest one, I always talk about, you know, the value of the, the, the business professionals that we work with, like I said, whether it's, you know, accountants, um, attorneys, wealth planners, um, making sure that all of those involved are pragmatic and provide good advice uh, and honest advice to the, uh, uh, to the seller you know, that, that combination of things is what really needed to come together here. And as they started to come together and you worked toward, uh, I guess, putting a deal on the table and structuring the deal to take care of all those components to reward the seller for building a great business and the different revenue components that he had created. And especially if there is upward trend in the business and it's growing rapidly, as you said, were the advisors and attorneys and CPAs at the table that were helping facilitate this deal. Tell me a little bit about the dynamics of that situation. Sure. Well, first of all, I think we had an extremely, uh, you know, motivated seller and buyer and we, I think the deal structure we had in place was extreme, extremely fair and uh, made a lot of sense. Um, we unfortunately hit a point at which uh, we realized that there was um, a negative relationship between um, one of the, I shouldn't say negative relationship, there had been a historical uh, interaction between one of the advisors to the seller and the buyer to where um, 
uh, I guess there had been a situation where something didn't go well. So I, I need to unpack that last statement that you made. So the buyer who has done similar transactions before, and we have an attorney on the seller side that's representing the seller. And you said they had been on other deals or something before? Yeah, there was some kind of a, a point at which they had worked um, on opposite sides in the past that I guess didn't go uh, well. So what I'm hearing, reading between the lines, is that, well, maybe both of them or one of them anyway, maybe the attorney or the buyer, you know, brought some baggage to the table from a history of working together. That sounds a little bit about what you're talking about here. Yeah, you know, building trust between a buyer and seller is a huge part of what we do. And we insist on ensuring that they spend time with each other, get to know each other, get to trust each other. And anytime an advisor uh, puts anything in the way that might interrupt that trust, it's very difficult for the seller to climb over. And that's unfortunately what we faced in this particular situation. So we have an attorney here that I don't know what the details of the prior transaction were, but as attorneys do, they take a certain position on deal points. Uh, They may be great positions to take. They may be not such aggressive or great positions to take, but that's the positions that they recommend to their client. Was that kind of the situation that we had here on some of the deal points? I mean, you obviously had a deal on the table. And from what you're telling me, I'm making the assumption that a lot of these deal points had been agreed to in principle. And now the attorneys on both sides were really tasked with the job of putting those deal points into the right legal structure and language that would protect both the buyer and the seller. Is that how this deal was unfolding? Yeah, that that description makes a lot of sense. What I'll say it a little bit differently, the the business points had been agreed to, you know, and now we were working on the legal points to your point. Yeah, getting it structured in a way that works for everyone. And I I think it's really important for our audience to understand here that are entrepreneurs out there that are thinking about their business is that you got two really dynamics going here. And the wheels can come off of the bus with you can't come to agreement on either side of these. And that's the deal points, the business points, how the deal is going to be structured and what the intent of the structure of the deal and exit is going to be. And then you have an entirely different universe out there of translating that into actual legal language and legal structure. And if there's a disconnect between those or their opinions and Uh, positions that anyone can take in that the negotiation and transaction you can agree to all the deal points and still have the wheels come off when it comes down to the details of how the wording in a, a purchase document or other documents that are put together are worded and i'm making an assumption here so correct me if i'm wrong I'm making an assumption here that this is kind of what happened is that we're now working on the deal structure on the legal side, and that wasn't going all that well. Yeah, that's right. Um, And there were some things that were requested um, that just were not not typical, perhaps because of this historical uh, distrust. Um, And uh, it just reached a point where when you're looking at it from our perspective, seeing a lot of deals, the topics seem very silly. But, you know, once trust is broken, it's very difficult to, to pull it back, you know, in the right direction. Uh, that, that can be challenging. You know, my comment would be, you know, it's very easy. You know, it's, it's an emotional time when a seller is selling the business. And it's easy to say, whoa, the, you know, to get really stuck on something that in the, in the scheme of the entire thing is not 
you know, that big of a deal. Buyers do the same thing sometimes. And, you know, that's what our job is, is really to, to do everything we can to, to keep everybody on the same page and, and move these things forward. And it is unfortunate when we get in situations like this where we can't, um, can't get it there, even though it's a really good deal for both parties. So just to summarize your last statement there, which I really like that last statement is in the grand scheme of things, a specific deal point may be relatively immaterial. It may be almost irrelevant to the total scope of the transaction, but people get hung up on some of these issues occasionally and it can derail and sidetrack a great transaction where both the buyer and seller would benefit from it. And from what you're describing here, this is kind of what happened here. You know, we don't have to get into the specific details, but I'm just curious on what the specific bump in the road was as we went along here. That you said that was sort of untypical that you don't see it. Yeah, it was, it was around the protection of at risk income that was part of the deal. Um, and it, it just was at a point where the buyer couldn't quite get comfortable with it. So at-risk income being defined as what? Well, whether an earnout or a note or or any of that kind of stuff would qualify as uh, really the earnout more so than a, than that. Um, there were a variety of different um, sort of uh, I'll call it earnout type uh, income that was structured in different ways to compensate for the rapid growth that was occurring in the business. And it was a matter of fighting over how sure we are that, that we're going to get this or not get this. And it wasn't the terms of it. it. We were still early. It was more about, you know, the protection of it. How do I keep you from, you know, not paying me if I've earned this money? Well, any entrepreneur out there is going to sell their business, as you say, that is, is growing rapidly. They want to be compensated for that. And a buyer will typically say, well, that's great. Well, we're willing to pay you for that if it actually happens. And that's what you're meaning as at risk. And so the big issue here apparently was, is that you want to make sure that how do I know you're really going to pay me? And that's where the devil is in the details. And apparently what you're telling me is that they couldn't come to terms of this for whatever reason. And you've made an interesting statement there. You said the trust was broken for a variety of different reasons, but you're saying the seller really didn't trust the buyer, maybe because of this history that had gone on between the attorney and the buyer before, whatever comments or things were said, the buyer had basically lost trust. And what you're telling me is that that looks like it derailed the transaction. I think that's a fair statement. You know, the the things got sideways based on this one issue but then really what made the deal not salvageable was was the loss of trust. However you want to say that, the lack of trust, loss of trust. Yeah. In a transactions like this, especially when entrepreneurs work for decades to build a business, they have to be very comfortable, especially if there's this ask risk compensation that's going to come later, that they're actually going to get paid. And if they don't have that intuitive gut feel that they trust a guy on the other side of the table, it's not going to go very far. And that's apparently what happened in this particular case. So for our audience here, Joe, what would be the big takeaway that our audience could think about as they're considering their own situation? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's critical, like I said before, to prepare your business ahead of time so that it becomes um, more attractive to a larger group of buyers. Now, this this situation, that wasn't an issue. But if your business is really ready, there are going to be fewer reasons for there to be complex legal language 
that causes you know some of these challenges um, in, in in agreement. So, for example, if this business had been less owner centric, as I refer to it, some of this may not have been necessary. It may have been much simpler uh, to to get this deal done. Um, and then, honestly, um, surround yourself not at the last minute, but ahead of time with the right team of advisors. So you need transaction advisors like us. You need an accountant, an attorney, and a wealth manager. The accountant and attorney definitely have to have significant M&A experience and be pragmatic in terms of, you know, um, not falling on the sword, but rather working to get a deal done. Um, that's that's how you get ready, and that's how you move toward a successful transaction. Uh, bingo. I think you hit a very important part on the head there, not only being prepared in advance, but surround yourself in advance also with good advisors that can facilitate the deal transaction. As you listed off the ones there, you listed off attorneys, you listed off CPAs, you listed off a transaction advisor like yourself. And for those that have sufficiently large transaction, a wealth manager and how to protect that from taxes at the time of exit and, and in the future, estate taxes and things of that nature. So I appreciate that insight and that you need to be pragmatic in these type of situations. And it sounds like this deal did not close, went sideways. And a, a buyer that was really interested in the business and a seller that had built a great business and at least had to take a pause and reload and go back to market at another time. So I think that is vice well heated uh, that don't get so caught up on a deal point that may not be all that significant in the grand scheme of things. You can get over focused on something. I'm not saying that the buyer was wrong or the seller was wrong in this situation to step away from the deal, but I have been in my own career and situations I have been in, I've won the battle but lost the war. I had my short-term satisfaction but took the long-term pain. Uh, why don't we jump in, Joe, and have you share a transaction and give us a little bit of an idea of who the owners and entrepreneurs in this business that you're going to share with us a little bit about their motivations and how the deal unfolded. Sure. Well, this business was owned by two fantastic gentlemen. They were 50-50 owners um, and really didn't necessarily want to be out of the business, but did not see themselves as the right people to be the top executives moving forward. They both were excellent at their roles within functional areas that they wanted to continue to do. Um, they had end up they had ended up uh, owners of this business, unfortunately, because of two deaths in the family. One of the owners is a family member, the other one a non-family member. So how long had this business been around? Uh, obviously, if they had been involved in the business, it was a business of pretty good scale. Yeah, been around about 25 years. Well-known well business and uh, well-respected business. And what type of industry were they in? Yeah, uh, they were in the uh, in contracting services type business, specific kinds of uh, services around construction. Okay. So they had a business they've been around. Now you made an interesting comment there. You said that they had come into the business facilitated by the passing of some of the original founders of the business. And they didn't necessarily see themselves as the founder entrepreneurial business types in the business. They did very well at their specific core competencies, but they were now operating in a business management role versus the specific vertical skill set that they had. Yeah, they had been in the they had both been in the business and been enormous contributors to the success of the business for years. But again, when they found themselves as the top two at the at the company, they realized that they didn't see themselves in that 
in that kind of role. They would rather be in a situation where they can continue to, to do what they do best and have you know assistance with carrying the business forward. So often employees take over a business and an ESOP or something like that, and they now have decision-making authority. Some of the decisions they make are short-sighted or just basically because of the lack of experience. They make decisions that they think are good at the time, but don't turn out all that well because of a lack of big picture experience. Tell me a little bit about how that situation of new prior employees, now business owners kind of worked out as they took over the business. Sure. I mean, one of the situations where with with the greatest intentions to grow the business, they took on uh, a lot of work um, that dramatically grew grew the revenues of the business, but some unforeseen things, both related to this work and related to the other parts of their business uh, caused a very large financial loss, um, unfortunately. Um, and when we've met these gentlemen, they were certainly in not in the, ha- in a, in the happiest of place um, coming off of that. So when we say large loss, are we talking six-figure loss, seven-figure loss? Just give us a, a size of the loss and how that impacted the business. Yeah, it was a seven-figure loss. Seven-figure loss, which was substantial for this size of business, I imagine. It was. Absolutely. And so when you were introduced to them, they had grown revenues, but their profitability had plummeted and they were probably drowning because they're not the founding entrepreneurs that had gone through decades of making these tough decisions and surviving the ups and downs of a business. This was kind of a first rodeo for them. And I would imagine they were kind of freaked out. They were definitely, I would use the term shell-shocked when we first met them. Um, and they had an offer on the table um, from another firm in the industry in a different place um, that was, I'll just say, um, very, very small amount of money for the business. And they were uh, trying to coerce them to give them the real estate in addition to letting them buy the business for a song and a dance in exchange for jobs uh, for a period of time. So we have a competing company in the industry that's seeing an opportunity here because they understand the business. They probably know a little bit about the decisions they made and how that impacted the business and were willing to step in and take over the business because they saw an opportunity here. And they were going to try to drive a pretty hard bargain, it sounds like, just in exchange for the these gentlemen keeping their jobs. Uh, I think that's a very fair, I mean, a different way to say it is perhaps they were playing on their fear. And, you know, that's a tough one to swallow when you when you see it from our perspective. Yeah, you made an interesting comment there, Joe, when you talked about they wanted these new owners of the business to give them the real estate as part of the deal transaction. Tell me a little bit more about how that offer was structured and what they were really trying to capitalize on. Yeah, I think they were they were trying to say that the that the bank to to bless the deal needed to have the collateral of the real estate um, included, uh, even though it wasn't a lot of money. I think it was more about working capital at that point in time, because I don't think they really understood what was going on inside the doors of the business. Um, so that, that was, that was essentially what, what they were, uh, what they were doing. But again, it was, it was a, it, they were looking for an emotional response, not a rational one. So the deal structure, it sounds like, from what you've described here, Joe, is that they were going to pay these 
two partners, a good salary. They're probably going to guarantee employment for a period of two or three years and give them a, a couple, three, four hundred, I don't know, six-figure bonus kind of or purchase price for the business and they could step away from the business and have jobs and this new company who's a competitor in the business would step in and have a sweetheart deal to grow the business. I think that's a fair way to summarize it. Well, I'm dying to hear what happened. Yes. Yeah, it was it was a, a fortunate um, group of, I'll call it, efforts that went on simultaneously. What we did right away was evaluation uh kind of study on the business. And um, what we realized is we could literally isolate these mistakes that were made in in the financials. So we could actually carve them out and look at what the financials would look like without them. Secondarily, a couple of other advisors have got had gotten involved to help them, number one, think through things like their pricing, things like how accurately they're estimating their work and made tremendous strides in helping them improve uh, their profit margins. So all of this work kind of came together with us and we saw a picture of where this business could go. So when we took it to the market, as much as we were telling a story about, uh, you know, some challenges, we were focusing very heavily on the story about where this business was headed based on the improvements that have been made and the lessons that have been learned from the mistakes. So it sounds like you brought in a financial type, a CFO type, to recast the financial statements and pull out these extraordinary transactions that resulted in a loss and were able to then get a much bigger or better picture of the core substance of the business. Uh, and that was a different picture than the actual current financial statement. Right. We, we started to peel the peel it back. And then uh, they they had hired a, an excellent fractional CFO that worked with us on those numbers and helped us to to really understand um, what it looked like. And, and he was pivotal the rest of the way through the process, just in helping them to continue to improve their profitability and helping us to make sure we understood, you know, all the details behind the numbers. Okay. You made another comment there that I think is insightful, given that I'm trying to picture these two prior employees with not a lot of entrepreneurial business experience and they had taken on and grown revenues but profits weren't all that great that was some of the decisions they made to grow revenue looking at the margins and their pricing was that way off kilter was that something that could be dramatically improved by making some minor adjustments without impacting the flow of revenue whenever somebody says to us the phone keeps ringing, it never stops. We can never keep up with the amount of business we have. We always wonder, you know, when's the last time you had a price increase? And in this case, it had been quite a while. And I don't want to take credit because there was another individual that really helped them uh, to figure this out. But um, they were able to significantly raise prices um, without really any interruption to demand. Well, when you do that, margins increase dramatically and it can have a profound impact on profit. And it sounds like that is what happened here, is that they were able to make these changes. And I'm just curious, how big of a jump in their EBITDA and earnings before taxes, interest and amortization, you know, was it a, a scale of doubling or tripling or how, how much were they able to grow revenue based on these adjustments that have been made? I'll give it to you more in uh, in bottom line. They were able to, our thought at first was let's return them to the historical profitability, but we got them very quickly on a path 
to quadruple their historical profitability. And by the end, it, by the time the transaction happened, it was at five times um, what it had been. Well, that's that's real leverage when you can quadruple or quintuple in this case, bottom line revenue, and then you add on top of that the multiple you're going to get for the business. That's like a 20, 25 times improvement over what you would have realized out of you know, walking away from the business on their first offer. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I think you're a little light. <laughs> it's probably more than that. But but yeah, they, you know, I it's a credit to them. I mean, they did these things, they they executed all these things, and um, they burned through the debt that they had built up, you know, in the times of trouble in no time. I mean, it was it was remarkable. I think I've ever seen, you know, debt, um, you know, burn through that quickly. It was it was very impressive. So I'm curious, who was the buyer? I mean, you had an industry player vying to buy the company on the first round. Who was the buyer that came to the table the second time that actually made an offer that was accepted? Yeah, it was a it was a private equity firm, and you know, one that had some synergies just based in their business portfolio that could help the business, and had already been looking around this industry and liked the industry, um, and had a fantastic track record of. Um, success in, you know, getting into these and, and growing the value of them. And uh, you could, we could tell, you know, when we saw the way they structured the deal that that they had great vision because a part of the deal was to have um, the owners um, stay on, not only in their roles, but as owners maintaining 50% of the business. And that's the, the greatest motivator you'll have um, in a situation like this for two uh, gentlemen who uh, you know are uh, selling the business and accepting some of it in stock, I should say. So in this type of transaction, Joe, that you made a comment there that they structured the deal to put 50% cash, I think you said, and, and 50% ownership of the original sellers of the business here, the entrepreneurs that are selling the business. And so they created an entity in which now has two owners, you have the private equity owning 50% and you have the original owners owning 50%. And that's, you know, quite a motivation to grow the business. And I would imagine that the private equity company was able to bring to the table some of the functions of the business that they weren't all that comfortable with, such as the financial part or HR and some in operations and things they could bring their team or skill set to the table that really would supercharge the growth of that business when they could focus on their core competencies. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, so that the, the, these guys took 50% of their proceeds in, in stock. Um, that was the way that it worked, but yes, as owners and, and, and good private equity firms, you know, they look at a business and they see, um, you know, what they need to do or what's needed by the business. And we always encourage business owners to, you know, be humble and, you know, take that advice and t- accept that help work, especially where you want it. If you're not good at this or don't like this or not good at that, accept the help, but also, you know, if you see something that's happening that you don't agree with, stand up and, and say something as well, you know, because you at the end of the day know this business inside and out. So it sounds like this was almost a strikeout if we're using a baseball metaphor here. We're standing at the plate trying to sell your business and you're you know looking at a full count and you can strike out and walk away with little or nothing. In this case, they were offered a job and a 
And for a period of time and a few hundred thousand dollars in salary, it sounds like, until where they hit a home run and they walked away with millions. And then they had a potential to earn even more in that uh, when the private equity firm exited with them as 50% partners down the road. Yeah, that's that's exactly the way it ended up playing out. And, you know, again, considering that these gentlemen wanted to be with the business, I, I can't think of a better deal structure that we could have come up with. Well, that's a fascinating story. And I think that it's a cautionary tale to our audience here is that uh, when you focus on the core components of the business and you surround yourself with good advisors that can facilitate and that this type of exit that you're likely to not hit a single or a double that you very well may be able to hit a home run. And in this situation, two home runs because they made out well on their first exit where they got cash and stock as part of the deal structure as well as a potential with that stock going up dramatically with the help of the uh, private equity team that was brought to the table. The takeaway for our audience here is really you can dramatically improve uh, your position on an exit if not only that you are prepared for the exit, but that if the deal structure is right, that facilitates your core competencies. If you want to stay in the game, that you can drastically improve your total exit on maybe a second bite of the apple. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Number one, it goes back to the same point about preparation. Even though we were doing it on the fly, we were preparing this business so we could tell the story about where it could go. But all businesses should be preparing. But I, I think you hit a key point. Deal structure matters, right? People often coming into this think about dollars and cents, right? That's true. But the right deal structure that fits your situation and is a good um you know, bridge between you and the the buyer is incredibly important. You know, for example, you know, we when we are in competitive situations, you know, we say to people to, to buyers that all offers are considered on their own merit, right? Because, you know, it'd be silly for us just to look at a number when we know that our particular clients have particular needs relative to deal structure. So it is a very important point. All right. Well, Joe, this has been a fascinating discussion so far. So let's wrap it up with a a final transaction that you've been involved in that had its benefits to the entrepreneurs that exited their business. Why don't you share a little bit about how this uh, transaction unfolded and the type of business that this was? Sure. Um, Well, this business was um, a different type of of contracting business that did a, a wide variety of services and sometimes combined those services on complex projects. Um, And the seller was uh, a female who had started this business with her husband, um, gosh, probably 10 years prior. And unfortunately, he had been killed in an accident uh, a number of years earlier. And you kind of hear this story um, in different ways sometimes. But for starters, um, she decided she was going to keep the business. It was already a, a respected business. And she originally went to, you know, a family member to come in and attempt to run the business. And it just didn't go the right direction. The focus wasn't on the right things. I think sometimes when you lose that, that founder leader, you, it's hard to keep the business on the, the same path that was that individual's vision. Um, so after that um, failed experiment, um, the, the company had brought in a, an outside um, an outside CEO. And um, unfortunately, some improvements were being made, but it just wasn't getting to where it needed to go. And and as as everybody knows, COVID really 
uh, when, when revenues dry up, it sometimes shows uh, things that are uh, lurking beneath. And that's what started to happen to this renowned business. Um, as, uh, as revenues dropped, um, the financial situation became uh, somewhat difficult. So the CEO they brought in, was he really oriented toward management, sales, financial background? Was he a good fit for the business, I guess? Yeah, it's a great question. So he had a, um, an excellent business development background in the industry, um, but he was coming into a situation where the financial uh, position and the financial aspects of, the, of all the work that was being done needed to be addressed as well. And, you know, it, it, my experience in working with private equity for years, if you're going to bring someone of that level in, in, with that specialty in, you really need to support them with the right help um, from a finance standpoint. And unfortunately, that wasn't there. So they already had a finance guy in place, a CFO in, in place, but he wasn't really the right guy, I guess, is what you're saying. Right, right. Well, the, the right things, the things were not moving the right direction. The right information was not being, you know, reviewed, thought about. Um, the right improvement plans were not being made. Um, so we, we knew that once again, we were going to have to come in and um, <clears throat> work on this business on the fly um, while we were, you know, marketing it. We had a, we had a hunch that there was going to be a particular way that this deal would go that might be a little different from how some others go. All right. So you come in, the business is obviously in a downward trend revenue wise. You have the additional complexity of the pandemic and you're brought in to position the business uh, for sale and you figure these key components out that number one, you don't have probably the right CFO. Probably the, the CEO is not a good fit for the business. And even if he was, he needed this, a good CFO to give him the right type of information. And before time ran out here and the business became worth nothing, which often happens in a situation like this, tell me a little bit about the buyers that came to the table and how the deal was structured. Sure. Um, and, you know, I would say even worse in the situation was now the the, the owner's financial future financial situation was was approaching being at risk. So that was challenging. So when we looked at this, the idea, and we, we talked to a lot of different buyers uh, in the industry and in adjacent industries and financial buyers, the prospect of, of sort of fixing this entity as it was shaped um, looked pretty daunting considering what the history had been since the passing of one of the founders. So we started to think about what, you know, these different businesses, what could they bring, these business segments, what could they bring to, to other companies out there that either could strengthen um, one of their businesses that were similar or could add an adjacent service uh, to what they're doing. So just, just for clarification, I want to jump in here to make sure that something is clear here. I think you said earlier in the discussion of this transaction here that this business had like three components that were symbiotic in nature, but they were three separate departments or components of the business that worked together for the total service to be delivered. And what you're saying right now is that as you looked at this, you had a suspicion that these different parts of the business each had their own value. Yeah, I would say that the different divisions did their own work and then sometimes collaborated with each other on complex projects. 
And we started to see that, you know, a buyer would come in and look at the whole thing and then say, well, boy, really what I would like is if I could buy this division or I could buy this division and that division and boy, the, the, the space they're in fits me uh, very well. Um, and the equipment it fits my current business very well. And I can add on these services based on what this company does. And it, it, it clearly, it became clear that the business may be more valuable you know, in different pieces to different players than it was somebody looking at the daunting task of bringing it back, you know, to where it had been as a whole entity. Okay. So just share with us how this kind of unfolded then. Yeah. What ended up happening was uh, one company bought one of the divisions and uh, the real estate moved its existing, um, I'll call it complementary business into the real estate with the division it bought. Another company that had, um, a small business similar to one of the divisions bought that division and another division that it was in a service it didn't provide. So it strengthened one of its businesses and, and got itself into a whole new business and continued to lease space um, from the buyer of the other division within the real estate. And I imagine there's still collaboration that goes on there. This is fascinating. You're really talking about a very creative and innovative solution. As you said, buyers came to the table and were only interested in one component of the business. And you certainly can't maximize value by selling off one third of the business that has value to a specific buyer. And that the creative nature of this deal structure was is that you brought multiple buyers to the table, each buying a component of the business, but yet keeping the business under the same roof so that they could continue to collaborate and, you know, add value to both of the buyers that were at the table. I mean, that's how I'm envisioning that this deal kind of unfolded and was structured. Yeah, that's that's about right. It took a lot of uh, coordination between the parties and obviously creativity and how you value the work, the the pipelines, the assets of the different businesses, but it was nice to see that one fall in place. Well, that's great. And uh, as I'm thinking of the takeaway on this, I mean, this is really a situation where the sum of the parts is really greater than the whole business here, especially in the circumstances that you described for us here is that if it, it was very possible that you might have only been able to sell off one component of the business and got a fraction of the value of what the business as a whole would have gotten. And that by getting creative and deal structure and bringing multiple buyers to buy up separate parts of the business, yet collaborate together in the future, uh, the sum of the parts was really greater than than the whole and that you were able to extract maximum value out of this business for uh, one of the partner's widow that was probably depending on this as her future retirement income. Yeah, there's no doubt that it, we, we had an eye on that from the beginning is what was her future going to look like, you know, depending on how this, this deal fell together. Well, Joe, this has been a great and fascinating discussion here. Uh, The stories you've shared with our audience here today, I think, have a relevancy and they have value. You've given us an opportunity to peek into some unique deal structures and a private equity group remains in the deal and brings the owners in for a percentage of the new co that they create to be able to exit again down the road that gives the owners an opportunity for even greater value extraction from their business as well as 
this last transaction that you talked about where it took a creative deal structure to sell two or three divisions of the business to different buyers to maximize value. So something that entrepreneurs listening to this podcast can catalog away as they think about their own specific situation and future exit that they'll be contemplating at some point in time. Well, Joe, this has been great. If someone wanted to get a hold of you and reach you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Certainly. They can call us at uh, 717-740-5496, linkbusiness.com and linkenterpriseusa.com are our websites. And uh, we're always available for uh, a free consultation. All right. Well, this is great, Joe. So this is Marvin L. Storm signing off here with Business Exit Stories podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Business Exit Stories podcast. For more information or to reach out to today's guest, visit www.businessexitstories.com for more details. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast from your favorite podcasting platforms. And remember, maximizing business value at the time of exit doesn't happen magically. It takes planning.